Welcome to another edition of Fashion Council. Today I'm bringing you part two of my CFO perspective interview at the Rutgers Business School of Fashion. Uh, specifically, I interviewed Eduardo Perez from St. Loren, uh, Rich Narvenhoe from Caring, and Donna Borgignon from Alexander Wang. I asked all three CFOs for their opinions on how to deal with vendors, specifically with regard to their leases dealing with attorneys and the like when they were having to defer payments. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again. What were some of the strategies you used to, to deal and negotiate with vendors? And I, what we're talking about leases to, uh, you know, uh, other uh, factories to even the lawyers, which have to get paid at some point. So uh, what were some of the strategies you guys used? Eduardo, we'll stay with you, please. Um, well, listen, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the, the definitely vendor payments was the next big, uh, let's say, uh, box to check off uh, during the pandemic in terms of managing cash flow. Uh, on, the, on the vendor side, obviously, the, the biggest, the, the, this, after you deal with stock and payroll, uh, the next big item usually in our industry is rent, right? And so uh, it was those difficult conversations uh, that needed to happen with all of our landlords to say, hey, we're in this thing together. You know, we have a lease, we have a fully executed lease. We know that, but how do we work together and uh, survive this current situation, which we're all being impacted? And, you know, those conversations varied depending on, again, the relationships you had and, the, uh, you know, the, the partnerships that, that exist. But it also, I would say, varied across the region, honestly. Um, you know, at St. Laurent, we, we, um, we manage from here uh, the entire region of the Americas, so anything from Canada down to technically Argentina. And I found it very interesting uh, to see the, the, the different approaches that the landlords took, whether we're talking about Canada, US, or uh, Brazil, Mexico, Panama. Uh, Latin America was a very, uh, what I would say, uh, different kind of approach, uh, very surprisingly uh, unexpected in a positive way. Um, you know, I always knew opening up those countries that the relational aspect of the, uh, of the partnership was, was very big, but you saw it firsthand during a pandemic. Um, you know, in many instances, they reached out to us before we reached out to them, and they really were at the forefront of working together. You know, and depends on, on, on the country and the partnership, but, you know, those conversations had to, had to happen. And, uh, you know, delaying vendor payments, you know, uh, you know, we have agreed upon commercial terms, but this is a moment where, you know, those terms are not exactly, uh, you know, the priority right now. It's trying to survive this moment, right? Uh, and even renegotiating some of those terms, whether it's short term or long term. Um, and then, you know, renegotiating contracts in the middle of pandemic with vendors that supply services to the stores. You know, when all the stores are closed, you know, it's a little bit tough to, um, you know, uh, provide payment for services that are not being rendered, although you have a contract. And so, all those conversations were really key. Um, and uh, for the most part, I think, you know, the lens of, of sharing during this pandemic really came to light. Um, and I think we have a, a really, really good outcome because of it, uh, being able to work with all our vendors to, to really manage the cash flow in that aspect. Not only vendors, but also payroll. That was the other big 
area we had to sort of manage. Uh, any comments? And term of payroll, uh, uh, as Osrich uh, said, uh, we really put a lot of priority on our employees and trying to preserve uh, their job as much as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. you, we activated some follow as uh, uh, in the effort to preserve cash, but it was really very short term uh, and 99% uh, uh, of basically have already been a callback. And, uh, but there was uh, um, not really much of, uh, the intention was not much to make saving on the employees, but really to work leveraging the, the, uh, the vendors and the suppliers. And the suppliers, we were lucky that we had a long-term relationship, so that was extremely important to sit down the table, negotiate extension payment terms, and really making sure they were sustainable for them because we need to work with them, and, uh, and it worked. Same with our logistic partners, the third-party service provider also were really great in working with us and, uh, and cooperating and meeting us halfway. With the landlords, I agree with Eduardo, it depends also not only the region, but also which type of lender you have. The institutional landlords are very tough to negotiate with. They have a um, guarantee with the banks, their hands are many times are tight, you cannot really, they don't have much room on negotiation. With the family-owned businesses and properties, there was for sure a much easier conversation. And you just go there in a very honest way, say, listen, this is the situation, the office, the store are closed, the office is not even occupied, everybody's working from home, and you could really find a good solution that could accommodate both parties. You mentioned, Rich, earlier on that one of the big changes was going from retail to e-com. And I had read a, a note the other day in a paper that was saying that the number one spend uh, for companies usually is uh, employees, real estate, and then technology. But after COVID, you're gonna see technology move into the number two position as, as companies move forward. So it, it really required a big change in, in the company and the way they think to, to deal with the onslaught of e-commerce in this moment. How did you guys adapt? Well, from from, from our side, again, it's it's it's, setting yourself up from the beginning to be in that position. So um, Carrie had just moved into a new uh, distribution center um, and, and that distribution center had already been set up in a way um, with the intention to be agile, to, have, to, to be able to, to uh, move from one channel to the other uh, as quickly as possible. While it wasn't perfect, there were things that we needed to work out. We were definitely in a position to, to shift resources uh, more readily to the e-com business uh, to accommodate that and to support that business uh, and less so on the, on the wholesale and, and the retail. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that um, if, if you don't have a strong digital platform, um, you're, you're probably going to start to reinvest in it. Uh, it's a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you see the people that are, you know, that were able to survive a little bit and keep their head above water were those people that had that, 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 that channel um, that was able to connect to, um, to their, to their customers. So I think, um, that, that's definitely going to be a drastic change. And just to add on the digital aspect of, of Rich's comment, I mean, for years, consumers have been shifting shopping habits to more digital channels. I mean, that's not a secret. What this pandemic did was highlight the importance of the digital space and, and the speed up of the process. Uh, you know, with everyone in lockdown and almost everything closed or limited, it was natural for people to shift to digital for our everyday needs or wants. 
um, you know, and whether I speak in general or specifically about my organization, I think the general consensus is that if an organization, if your digital footprint was behind and your technology was behind, it's now the number one priority to establish.